welcome back to Beats, Rye, and Types, your favorite podcast about food, music, and programming. This week we are joined by a special guest, Matthias Meyer, who has gracefully uh, chosen to uh, lead us into this show, uh, wake you up on your Monday morning with some animals as leaders, CAFO. Welcome, Matthias. How's it going? Uh, it's going well. Thank you. Glad to be on the podcast. All right. Well, we're super happy to have you here. And we usually ask our guests why they chose the why they chose the intro song that they chose. Um, so why did you choose that song? And why did you not choose it until we first got on our <laughs> phone call this morning? <laughs> Matthias did not do his podcast guest homework, but that's okay. He came up with a good I song did, anyway. I, I but... wanted to choose Taylor Swift, but I wasn't allowed to. But, oh, uh, <laughs> why not? Well, I just I just thought that you know we kind of are gliding along the side of the uh, rules around uh, fair use and the, the oh, shit. Taylor Swift. AQ nanoed the Taylor Swift as the <laughs> yes, intro choice. <laughs> I, I missed that. I was in the bathroom that. and I missed that. Damn. Yeah. Well, it, it's just really, I just don't want to get sued by Taylor Swift's lawyers. Other <laughs> lawyers I can deal with, Taylor Swift's lawyers, I don't think I can handle. I don't know. She's cool. I think she's chill. So why did you want to choose? So let's just talk about Tay Tay then. Why did what song? What Taylor? What Taylor Swift song was it? And what? And and why did you? Why did you choose that? So the Taylor Swift song would have been uh, Bad Blood, but let's talk about animals as leaders. <laughs> okay. All right. Fine. The the Taylor Swift song would, if you wanted to know what Taylor Swift song Matthias would have chosen. If my co-host allowed him to, it would have been <laughs> bad blood. But unfortunately, there are, there are rules around here. This doesn't always go down the way you want it to. It's just life. It's our podcast, you know. By the way, animals as leaders, KFO. I don't. I'm 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 pretty familiar with that uh, with that band. I've heard that song before. It's cool. Tell tell us about it. I mean, uh, animals as leaders is an, an instrumental metal band, if you will, and one of the, the guitar player basically he he does magic with his fingers. And KFO is one. I think I got the link from the video from Toby Starrett at some point, and uh, I was listening to it, and it took a while to grow on me. But it's just if you watch the video for it, it just uh, has like really really wild guitar action and he actually plays just with his fingers in that song like not like he's basically just tapping the strings for the entire song and i mean the other reason why i chose it is because it's my go-to song when i test out new headphones <laughs> because it has it has such a like a very unique mix of highs and lows and also a, you know a bass so it's usually when i when i come across headphones that do not that you know that that start screaming when they play that song or where the bass doesn't come out right i'm just i'm not buying them I listen to that song so very often. I, it needs to come out right. You know, you, you calibrate with certain songs like that. Exactly. I know, I, know, I know how that goes. So, yeah, we were talking before about... So we thought that the song, whether or not it was just a song because you use it as a testing uh, song, the title, Concentrating Feeding Operation, relates to something we were talking about on a previous episode with Alex Payne about veganism and you know, animal cruelty and all of that. And so it's interesting. And, you know, one of the things that I hate to say this after that Alex episode, but one of the things I'm pretty proud of in my life is that I feel partially responsible for converting Matias away from vegetarianism and to eating meat. Maybe I shouldn't be proud of it, but I, I am. I no, you, you should be. You should be. <laughs> You're a, a huge influence on me. <laughs> 
an inspiration. So I'm I'm like some kind of like weird uh, meat pastor leading his <laughs> leading his <laughs> sheep sheep to slaughter. <laughs> Uh, yeah, meat pastor. Yeah, that's your um, new official podcast title. <laughs> so, what what was the what was the turning point for you, Matthias? What was like the what was the moment when you were like, okay, I'm done with this. Well, I want to eat some meat. First of all, it was seeing a lot of Aaron's photos of the great food that he made. That was seriously that was a part of it. Like, I'm not I'm not <laughs> I'm not even joking when I say that. The other part was that at some point I was just longing for uh, more variety in cooking. We're just trying out new things. Basically re-evaluated why I became a vegetarian. I mean, at that point, it was like 14 and a half years. And just figured, you know, why not try the other thing and try to do it well? Buy it and buy meat and all that under similar under a similar pretense as I buy veg, you know, veg, vegetables, basically, and everything that I buy as a vegetarian, which is usually more organic uh, and, free, you know, farm-grown food rather than, you know, from, from the supermarket. I've been to Berlin before. It's a great city to eat. But what's the what's like the butcher scene there? What's the meat scene in, uh, in Berlin? It's really bad. That's the unfortunate. <laughs> I feel like Berlin is not living up to my, you know, to my requirements. That's been really unfortunate. I mean, there's a lot of butchers closed over the years because people buy at supermarkets. And now it's more, you know, we have really good steak restaurants where you can get like Italian cuts of meat and stuff like that from, you know, 12 year old, uh, 12 year old beef from, uh, from a farm. Now that that is more more the case, you find more and more butchers that sell dry aged, which is not the case. And also a, a wider variety of cuts. For example, getting brisket here is, is a problem. Like you can't go to any butcher and ask for a brisket because the most that they'll have is, you know, roast beef and entrecote or, you know, just basic cuts. Is that like a taste thing? Like that's just what the German taste goes for different types of meat? Or is it is it just like something, there's just not a, not a lot of animals or something? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of beef in, no, in we, the area. We, we, have, we have lots of grass-fed beef in Germany. So that's not really the problem. It's more like traditional German kitchen is more, I don't want to say bland, it's more like <laughs> those are basically those are my childhood memories. It's usually you know you use like whatever whatever cut of beef you get your hands on and you know do stuff with it. There's no there hasn't been a culture of I need to eat the steak you know as raw as possible for it to enjoy you know to get the most flavor out of it. It's more like I grew up with really well cooked beef and meat in general, and uh, maybe that had something to do with wanting to be a vegetarian. But after I basically turned to eating meat again. Uh, I started, you know, looking into these kinds of things and started appreciating, uh, you know, really good cuts of beef, you know, a well-cooked burger than I, that I ate when, you know, last time we went in New York and <laughs> to eating, you know, mostly medium rare to rare beef at this point. And to, to the word kefo, I actually didn't know what it meant until early this year when I, uh, until I read the, I think the book was called uh, The Omnivore's Dilemma. Was right, right, right. Yeah. He talks about kefos and that's the first time where I was like, huh. This makes sense because they're animals as leaders. So, <laughs> you know, using CAFO kind of makes sense in all of this. So, yeah. 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 If you ever drive from LA into San Francisco, you can't miss it. Those just miles and miles and miles of disgusting, horrible, horrendous cow stench. Really? Are, 
Are they on the uh, on the big highway? Because yeah, they're right off the big okay. highway there. Yeah, there's miles and miles and miles of it. Well, then I'm I'm glad we did the trip down Highway One and didn't pass those. So. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are you are very glad. One of the big yeah. benefits of driving down the coast, amongst you know being on the coast as well. <laughs> and there you go. Well, you know, besides the meat, um, we have a lot of other subjects that we wanted to talk about that we have in common. You know, that's why we invited you on the show. It's cool to have guests on the show that we can talk about more than one of the subjects with. So, we should probably do that. In order to fulfill our promise. It's true. The way that you've come across people's deaths lately probably has begin, been because of some writing that you've been doing on your blog, on uh, on your company blog, but also on your personal blog. And you write about all kinds of interesting things like the, you know, business and humans and the intersection between business and humans. And uh, I've been reading your writing for a long time, and I know that Aaron has been too, and it's been really interesting and gratifying to see it uh, progress from sort of uh, the nitty-gritty of ops, uh, operations, infrastructure, to, uh, you know, running a big business or running a small business, excuse me, and everything in between. So we've seen you uh, write about a whole wide range of topics as your interests have shift, and I'm curious to know uh, what, what's interesting you now. What, what are you writing about these days? Well, I have topics in mind, funnily enough. So if I were, and I'm going to sit down tomorrow morning and write something, and that's probably going to be about, well, about being overly busy and the importance of Slack. And the other part is uh, stuff like things I learned about inclusiveness at work or when you build out a company. Those are the two topics that I currently have on my mind, beyond stuff that I want to write for the company blog too. But those are things that are important to us as a company and that just have been on my mind lately. Especially the part about busyness and Slack, because there's been, on multiple occasions, people have said to me lately that, oh, you must be really busy or your schedule must be really busy. And I'm like, you know, no. I keep my schedule, you know, I keep my schedule unbusy on purpose, you know, I, so I can make time. That's interesting. It's something we've been talking about recently too. This idea of I, like work-life balance, I guess, is like the overarching subject, but that's not that's not specific enough. I would say as to what we've been talking about. I think it's been a lot, uh, and I think what you're the way you're phrasing it is pretty clear too. It's like there's a, a desire amongst people in our industry especially to work themselves to the point where they burn out and then like spend years trying to recover and work back to it as opposed to trying to find some medium and happy balance between work and not work and everything else and trying to figure out how to just do that in a way where you are still feeling good and still feeling, I guess, productive, but also feeling like you have the time to, with your family and have the time with all the things that other things that you're interested in too. So what, what do you have techniques? What's, what's your method there? Is it just about scheduling? Is it about, you know, just forcing yourself to take time away? Uh, there are multiple ones. I mean, one is really just keeping, you know, always keeping an eye on my calendar, like not scheduling too many things because I've done that in the past too. schedule in too many things, too many meetings, uh, talk to too many people also outside of the office and that, you know, cut into, well, not even just work time, but also time, you know, that slack time, if you will, just slack time that I could have, you know, that I probably would have filled uh, in, in other ways by working with the team uh, in the office or, you know, via the, the magical internet. 
And uh, the other thing I do started doing a, a, like a last year was it's a really simplest productivity hack is to set myself a calendar reminder. It's, you know, 6 p.m. every day, you know, go home. <laughs> and because like my daughter now goes to bed at like 7.30 because, you know, she gets up really early for school. So I only have very, there's only very little overlap time if I go, go home any later than that. Does it work? Do you find, are you getting up out of your desk at six and, and running home or is it, is it hard to, is it easy to ignore sometimes and you, you end up falling into the trap? It's definitely easy to ignore and it's not, I don't always manage to walk out the door at, you know, six sharp. Now, there's a range between 6 and 6.30 is usually what I manage to leave, which is fine because, I mean, for us, it's not just leaving in the office, but 6 is, you know, the peak time when a lot of people are actually online because of our split between Europe and the U.S. We only have so many hours covering both, uh, you know, both of these continents time zone wise because, you know, time zones. Yeah. As we know, just from sketch, trying to schedule us recording over the past yes, couple weeks. Exactly. <laughs> so that definitely helps. I think we, I have I, some people on the team do that too. do that too. I mean, for us here in Berlin, it's a little bit easier because I mean, we have an office and we have a place to go home to for others who work remote or from home, you know, that distinction is a little bit harder. Like, you know, making an explicit cut, you know, now I'm going to close my computer and I'm going to go spend time with my family. I mean, I've, I've had that before we had an office, so I can definitely relate to that. And the importance of having a specific, you know, a cutoff point where you say, okay, I'm not going to work anymore. So I think, I think an even more interesting question here, because it relates to both the subjects you've been writing about recently. Like, so, okay, so you have this method for yourself to create slack and to create to try to force this balance but how do you translate that to being a boss and how do you like try to get that to happen amongst your team because mm. i know leading by example is is a good way to start but there i think in my experience there has to be a little more intention than just being like oh i'm going home at five you yeah. know, or i'm going home at six so ha have you thought about that have you talked to your team about it what do you what's your what's your method there i don't have a specific method unfortunately leading by example is currently the best i can do and i i agree that this is not you know the best thing to do i mean the implication is one of the implications could, could be from, you know, companies I've previously worked for, for is, you know, I'm sorry, no, I'm going home now, but you have to stay and finish this. So that is uh, the first thing that comes to mind thinking about this kind of, so I'm sorry, I'm the manager, I get to go home, but I'm sorry, you, if you could come in on Saturday, that would be <laughs> great. <laughs> Some of that kind of manager immediately comes to mind. It's uh, for us, it's more, we're very explicit about, uh, even when we talk to people, when, you know, when in interviews, we're very explicit about that we you know, value, you know, having a distinction between work and life and that we acknowledge that there is a life outside of work and that it is not our time to consume as a company. We're very, we try to be very explicit about that. I generally, I tell people about what I do. Some people do that. Other people find other ways. I mean, when you're new to remote work, it's usually a little bit harder. People who've been doing it for a little bit longer are, have gotten a lot better at it. Yeah, it's interesting to think about that. You know, in America, we call it the asses and seats problem, you know, like uh, people really want to see their employees in the right place at the right time. And to me, it really boils down to a, an issue of trust. Like, you know, if people really trust you, 
uh, you know, they're going to understand that you need to be home at a certain time to do what you need to do. And that uh, if something really goes wrong and you need them, that you'll be there for them. And once they have that security, then you should be able to follow through on, on the promise of creating something that's a little bit bigger than, than what, what's in front of you there. You know, they would only really have a problem with that if they thought that, you know, they wouldn't be able to get a hold of you. Or maybe they think that you don't really do anything. (laughs) You know, I don't really know. There's all these weird trust issues that, you know, they come up and it's really, it's natural, I think. It's hard to avoid. I feel, you know, I feel like I'm harping on your Europeanness a little (laughs) bit, but, you know, the cultural differences are very interesting to us. And I think that that difference is pretty pronounced in certain places like work and life culture and work-life balances. One of those really things in American versus American work culture. And it would be really interesting to hear you talk a little bit about some of those times where, uh, you know, as a European business uh, owner, uh, what it's been like to interact with uh, your Americans for the first time and how you really learned uh, how interesting and unique, uh, (laughs) so to speak, American work culture is. So there, I agree that there is a difference. There is like the cultural background in terms of what people do when, even when they're on vacation, is very different than what it is here. When people go on vacation in Europe, there or in, you know, speaking for Germany at least, I'll be on vacation. You can try to email me, but I'm probably not going to read it, or not just probably. I'm not going to read it. Think uh, we don't think about that. It's just you know, you're on vacation. You don't take your work computer or phone with you. We have seen the difference, and we ourselves have been somewhat influenced by that. We have seen the difference that people, when they go on vacation or when they travel, there's, you know, there's this need to check in and not this fear of missing out or even the fear that your job might be gone if you're, or that too many things change around your job when, as, you're, as you're offline. It has been really weird, that kind of, uh, that kind of realization. And, you know, that was, that was one thing that sparked our change in vacation policies, you know, moving away from an unlimited or open-ended towards setting more explicit expectations of what constitutes a vacation, like what we would like people to do or rather not to do when they're on vacation. We can't force them to do that, but what we, you know, we can at least set the kind of expectations of, you know, this is... You know, when you're on vacation, you know, we don't expect you to check in. We don't expect you to read your email. And we would prefer that you take time on the beach uh, rather than pop into Slack and start talking to us. And that difference is very noteworthy. And uh, the other part where that came out is this year we had three people on maternity leave. Uh, One of them is in Germany. Uh, The other two were in the United States. And and the, the, the one in Germany, she she never checks in. You, You don't hear a word from her. And I, you know, that's... That's a good thing. Our American employees, there's, there's, you know, there's, uh, there's much more of the cultural background to, I'm just going to see what's up, you know, it's, I'm just going to see what's happening. I'm just, and you know, there's also this thing where, you know, you just want to feel connected to your team. So it's, it comes natural. It just struck me as a very, a very interesting cultural difference, you know, very subtle, small things, which you just notice when you have these kinds of situations where you have that kind of cultural background diversity, where you have a mix of, you know, people from, the USA, people from uh, Germany or other parts of Europe or even Canada, which we now have too. I, I wonder. I'm I'm curious if this if there's a difference here too. But what have I what I've observed from the relationship between you know management and employee and and it's a two way street for sure. Um, in terms of this, what what Mike was saying about like kind of lack of trust thing is it's not just lack of trust, but it's also kind of this 
fear around a lack of clarity around goals, you know? So it's like this idea that as an employee, I actually have to check in a lot because I don't know if my entire role is going to shift tomorrow and I'm going to have to do something else. And as a manager, I want to check in a lot because I don't actually know where we're headed and I want to make sure that I can, you know, flip people's uh, roadmap on a dime, you know? Mm. And so if, if there's that lack of understanding between the two sides, then you get this thing where everyone is kind of on edge all the time about what's happening next. Yeah. But if you, if you have clarity and you know what's going on and you know, have like, okay, well, here's where we need to be in a year, then yeah, it doesn't really matter if I check out for a day or two days or two weeks. If I know when I come back, I still have that goal in mind and I can know what I need to do to work towards it or vice versa. Like if I'm a manager, I know that I trust that everyone is on the same page about where we're headed. Yeah. And that and that clarity, clarity is a word that actually Camille used a bunch and taught me in this situation because she she's talked about it before. And that's like a perfect word for this because it's not it's not transparency. It's not like the visibility into goals. It's like actually everyone understanding them. Clearly. Yes. It's interesting because it's it seems like that would be an easy thing to do. You're a business, you need to grow your business, you should have goals for your business, but at least in American startup culture, I find I found that that's like really, it's a really hard, challenging thing to achieve. Which which I can attest to. It's, it's that kind of thinking, that kind of thinking has been hard for us too. And I mean, that may may have contributed to this need to be, to be checking in all the time. It's... A real challenge when you get out of like a crunch mode in the beginning and then figuring out, you know, where do I want to be in a year or where do I want to be in three years? But yeah, I agree that clarity is the most important thing. It's the one thing that I've been striving for as well in our company and as many, you know, in as many parts of it as possible. Not just goals, even even having, you know, specific vacation policies is also part of clarity. You know, it's a clarity about very specific expectations that you have or very specific ideas around what constitutes clarity or what you expect from the people on your team. Totally. I was going to, I was going to say that too. actually of a friend of mine who works at a company that will remain unnamed with, with that has externally has a very high praise for being a very accepting place for people to work and for people with very flexible schedules and et cetera, has, they have a unlimited vacation policy, which was recently put to the test the, the the limit was found and now there's been a lot of discussion around what that limit actually is do they have to enforce it and all of that and it's it's a very challenging thing when you uh when you let that freedom go too far basically yes. there's always a limit there's always a hidden limit where someone's gonna ask wait a minute <laughs> i think you talked about this too but the tool there's a tool of the trade as a you know, a founder of a startup to abuse these unlimited rights as a, as a kind of, um, corral around which to place employees into a concentrated feeding operation, um, (laughs) of, of, of unlimited vacation days. This is the second episode where we've associated startup culture to to concentrating feeding operations, but, um, it seems to be a theme. (laughs) It's a great picture, but I can I can agree with that. Well, yeah, I'm definitely eating a lot of corn and getting fat. That's definitely <laughs> yeah. That's a good connection between the last part of the show and this part of the show. As you know, we've already used that line before, but that's okay. As we said, it's our podcast. We can do what we want. Yeah, that's cool. I really look forward to reading that uh, article. That's going to be really cool. I'm interested in your perspective on that for sure. 
Uh, I think in trying to run a company that's, uh, you know, partially co-located, partially remote, you're trying to do a lot of challenging things at once. And I'm sure it's super rewarding, but super challenging. And I think your perspective on it is really valuable because I really respect your values. Oh, yeah, it's true. It's a lot of work, like figuring out, you know, what the best way of, you know, being inclusive to remotes is is an interesting challenge, especially when you have people who are in the office uh, a lot, like, but not everyone who is in Berlin is at the office all the time. People work from home as well, which makes it easier to think about how you can be more inclusive to remotes. Well, yeah, with all these cultural backgrounds coming into play, like we have a lot of work to do. Even just finding out, you know, what's the best way of covering expenses that, you know, is somewhat fair to everyone. Because Germany is very particular when it comes to expenses and the U.S. is not. And But that's just, you know, subtle details. But uh, we invest a lot of time in that, uh, figuring out what good processes are, what good communication is, and, you know, how we can be more inclusive, not just to remotes, but in general as well. And trying to build, you know, even like processes that, you know, help everyone in a similar way. That does cost us a lot, uh, you know, it, it's a lot of work. Thankfully, we now have people who devote, you know, a lot of their time to that. And uh, that definitely helps. We definitely, we pushed a lot towards being a more distributed company this year. And that is reflected in us now being a 50-50 split between people in Berlin or people who work from Berlin most of the time uh, and people who are not in Berlin. Uh, something I've observed in CEOs in the past, and it seems like you're doing a really good job here, and CTOs too, like just leaders in general in, in, in companies, how much time they devote or split between focusing on the product that, they, that the company is working on and how much time they focus on the company itself. And so I'm interested, like it seems like you spend a lot of time focusing on the company, which is awesome and I think is an important aspect of it. But do you find that that's like a good 50-50 split? Do you do you spend a lot more time working on the company itself rather than the product or, or vice versa? Uh, I, th I find myself working a lot more on the company and, you know, towards people, happiness and all that. Uh, my partner, Josh, takes care of a lot of the product direction and we just, you know, we interact on a more just on a more higher level thing. And we talk about, you know, features, what do we, what do we want out of that? But yeah, my focus is a lot more on figuring out how to build a great company. And his focus is a lot more on building the product to go with that great company, a great product, great company. Yeah. One of the reasons that I, I, when I've talked to people in that role before who don't spend a lot of time working on the company is they're worried that there's not a good metric or direct correlation between the amount of time you spend working on the company versus the the success or the perceived success of the company. Are there things that you're tracking? Are you like, are there things that you know, like if I do this, then I'm successful in this job of working on on the company itself? Or how, how do you how do you think about that? So metrics is really hard, like in, in this way, because like, I mean, my main metric is still what's coming, you know, the end result of what is coming out of the company, you know, what, how many customers do we have? Do we have a happy team good to go along with that? And for that, there is no good metric. There's only, you know, open feedback channels where you have, you know, trusting relationships with your team and they can tell you, uh, you know, what's, what's, what's bugging them, what they appreciate and what we can do better and focus on these kinds of things. And, uh, all that is a lot more long-term. How you can measure that down the line, I don't actually know. I think uh, for me, that measurement might just be the same measurement as we use for product success. Because I mean, the product is an outcome 
of having a great place to work and a great team to work in that great place. So I think both of them are really very closely tied together for me. I do consider technology as, you know, as a byproduct of having a great team, but it's basically me acknowledging that or me saying that I want that great team to have a great product. Well, that's amazing. I mean, you know, that's a super enlightened way of thinking about it. And I hope that more business leaders can come out and support that perspective. And uh, it's really cool to hear someone with uh, that to say. So, yeah, kudos again. In the startup world, it's kind of funny because the whole notion of a startup in general are the, you know, this tech startup that we all kind of aspire to has always been this kind of backgrounded with this, like, oh, we focus on our employees, we focus on their needs, and, you know, we're not just this, you know, monster corporation where everyone works in a cubicle, but somehow that that intention has been divorced from the actual work that people do, I think, because it's like the intention is, oh, we're going to make people happy, but the means to do that is through, you know, perks and these benefits and stuff like that that people might not actually want, whereas I think what you're doing, Matthias, is like, really noble it's like let me actually figure out what the employees need and maybe it's time maybe it's you know maternity leave whatever it is to to like actually feel like they're comfortable and happy working as opposed to like hey we have parties every thursday you know or we have ping pong tables and all that and i mean i read an article lately that was called this is why people leave your company and the number one reason they said was uh people leave your company because you don't respect their time you need to give people personal space and to not intrude in that personal space. And that alone is a big part in, you know, helping people, well, first of all, you know, get more, you know, get more attached to your company because you do know, they do know that you value more than just their work. You value everything they do outside of work and you find it an important part of their life and you acknowledge that as a company. I like it. I like it. Words to live by. Words to live by. Thanks so much for joining us. And, you know, it's been really awesome to chat with you. We've got to get a uh, icon for hitting all three of our subject areas. <laughs> this has been another episode of Beats, Raya, and Types, your favorite podcast about food, computers, and programming. And music. Food, computers, programming, and music. <laughs> um, <laughs>